Welcome to Homestead Story. We're Peter and Kristen. Join us as we share a new but old kind of family life. Hello, everyone. This is Peter and Kristen coming to you from our Maryland homestead where we Instagram. (laughs) Yes. So last podcast, I (laughs) talked about how we were going to start. We're going to try out Instagram and see how it went. And I'm really enjoying it. It's just so quick and easy. I can just share a photo of what we're doing on the homestead and it's not sucking me in or taking time. And I feel like I'm buying time just until the gardens are growing. I can't wait to share pictures of our gardens and our um, harvest. I'm very excited. Yeah. And I may even Instagram eventually. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. It'll probably be me just taking pictures of you doing all the work. <laughs> yeah. You never know. You never know. Yes. So today we have a very exciting podcast. So uh, a little background. Uh, back when we started podcasting, how many years ago? It was a, it was a long time ago. Yeah, I don't know, a couple of years. A couple of years ago. So when we started podcasting, we were deciding what our podcast would look like. And we decided that we were going to put Catholic in the name. So Homestead Story, what is it? Chickens, cows, kids, and Catholics. Yeah. And we did that because we wanted... Being Catholic is just so much of who we are. We can't, we can't not... We can't leave it out. It's, it's just so hugely... Um, integrated with who we are. So we, and we didn't want to just talk about homesteading because we're so much more than just homesteading. And, um, we didn't want to feel like we were tricking anybody. So we wanted to be able to talk about being Catholic and we wanted to be upfront about that. This is going to be a Catholic podcast. And we knew that that would give us a lot less listeners, but we were fine with that. We just wanted to be real and honest and ourselves. Um, and we figured we would just have probably Catholics listening to us because there was Catholic in the title. And we have been just so surprised. The emails that we're getting, um, we're so surprised with the amount of just people of different faiths, like a lot of Protestant Christians, uh, people that are Jewish, people that are not, don't have really a religion at all. We're just so surprised at the amount of emails that we're getting with people that are saying, wow, I never... I never really have met a Catholic before. I've never ta- I never knew what Catholics believed, or I thought Catholics believed this. And um, it's been really fun. I've I've I love the idea of that we can all bring something to each other, even in our diversity. Mm-hmm. But it's been really, really cool and kind of humbling to see a lot of other people who who kind of really live that out, and they're willing to hear someone else's point of view. And I think we also talk about a lot of information that's just very broad and has nothing to do with. Catholic life specifically, and so I think there is a lot of you know a lot of overlap there, and a lot that we have in common with people who aren't necessarily Catholic. But um, to all of you who have listened to us as we talk about our faith, even if it's not the same as your point of view, like a sincere a sincere thank you that you've done that. Yes, yeah, really, and today, yeah, because I mean, it's we don't want to only hear from people who think just like us. We want to hear from people who have, who have those different points of view and it helps us to grow and it helps us us to deepen what we actually believe. Um, so, but today what we want to do is we just want to sit with you. We've got our coffee. So it's kind of like you're hanging out with us. Um, you might feel like we're your friends cause we've had so many conversations, um, over the years. <laughs> so as your friends, we just want to sit with you and share what Catholics really believe. There are so many myths about what Catholics believe, uh, so many just 
untrue things that have been passed down for the, over the years of what Catholics believed. Oh yeah, I've had a lot of conversations with different people who aren't Catholic over the years, and when they think, when they tell me what they think Catholics do, it's like fifty percent of it is not something that Catholics believe in. <laughs> so you're like, no, not really. And then the other fifty percent, maybe Catholics do believe, but generally it's in some context that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people, maybe when they think about religion, they think about it as just this vague set of rituals that people do because they were commanded to do them or something. And and we've gone very deep into our Catholic faith. Like we love being Catholic and we realize that what we believe is has has a lot of really good reasons, a lot of really good explanations, a lot of things that bring value and life to to our life. So well, one myth that we want to dispel we're gonna is that Catholics there's a lot of people think Catholics don't know the Bible or Catholics don't do what the Bible says or um, but in reality, everything that we believe, everything that we do is rooted in scripture. And so we're gonna bring in a lot of of scripture about that ties into what we believe as Catholics. And the other thing is you may have met Catholics in your life who are not practicing the faith at all and So you might think that's what Catholics, you know, oh, I met this Catholic, but they're not even living out, they're not living out the Christian faith. And um, a lot of, you know, people might say that they're Catholic because they were born into a Catholic family, but being Catholic is really, um, it's a, it's a faith that we, that we choose to live out every day. So, you know, we can't look at people of what the Catholic church is. We have to look to Jesus and the teachings of the Catholic church. Yeah, I mean, we, I've met many people, like, many Catholics like that. A lot, a lot of people grew up in Catholic families, and maybe they've been Catholic for generations. So some people are Catholic just more as out of tradition, not necessarily mm-hmm. because they believe any of it. And then I know a lot of people have been hurt by someone who is Catholic or a priest or or turned off in some way or another, and um, that happens. And part of that's just about being human. Every mm-hmm. group of human beings is going to have dysfunction and do things wrong. And, um, but we can see a deeper beauty that goes past that. It goes Mm -hmm. past me. It goes past Kristen. It goes past any individual person, um, to that, which is what we call the body of Christ, which is the whole group of believers over the centuries and the millennia Mm -hmm. back to Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so we're going to just dive right in here and we're going to just talk about what, what Catholics believe and where it is in scripture. And, if you are a Catholic, you might be listening to this and you might think like, wait, you're leaving out this great thing and you forgot that thing. Wait, you didn't explain that fully. And we are trying to basically explain the Catholic faith in what, our like 40 minute podcast. So we are going to leave a lot of amazingly rich things out. Um, and maybe we'll break them down in further podcasts, but just hang with us as we kind of do a overview of, of what Catholics believe, dispel some myths of what people say Catholics believe, and um, and then we'll point you in directions of deeper readings, that, books that you can get into or if you want to know more. Yeah, we'll, we'll add some things to the show notes. Right. So, all right, we're just, I guess, are we just going to dive Let, right in here? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Okay, so the first thing that I'm going to talk about is what what kind of worship, what does the Catholic service look like on a Sunday. So I did not grow up Catholic. I um, and I've I've been to I, I converted about 15 years ago, and I've been to all different kinds of Christian churches, all different kinds of church services, and I can tell you that the Catholic church service looks very different, and we call it the Mass. So I'm going to be talking a lot about what does the Mass look like, and people have all kinds of uh, I don't know 
they've heard, you know, they've heard things of what mass looks like and from non-Catholics, but you're going to hear it from a Catholic who goes to mass. So to explain the mass, I have to go back, back, back to the Old Testament. So bear with me, this will all tie together and you'll have a, a, a pretty good explanation of the mass. So I need to go back to Abraham. So we have Abraham who, if, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that God enters into this covenant with Abraham. Um, Abraham and his wife are barren. God tells him he's going to have a, a family as numerous as the stars in the sky. And God enters into a covenant with him where God's, God will be his God and his family will be his God's people. And um, they will serve God alone. And they are kind of like God's big special family, the, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people. So then we're going to fast forward so that they're in a covenant. God's in a covenant with these people. Um, so then we're going to fast forward to Egypt. Um, many, many, many years later, God's family, the, the Hebrew people, are enslaved in Israel. In Egypt. Oh, I'm sorry. They're enslaved in Egypt. Thank you. Uh, and they're crying out to God to be delivered, to be set free from slavery. And God is faithful, and God sends Moses to, to set his people free and to bring them into the promised land. So God brings upon, we all know the stories, God brings plagues upon Egypt, and Pharaoh will still not let God's people go. Um, he will not set them free from their bondage. So then finally, God does the last plague of all, which is the, the angel of death, that God was going to send death into Egypt and the firstborns were going to die. Um, and he tells his people, the, the Hebrew people, that they are to take an unblemished lamb and they are to sacrifice the lamb. They are to put the lamb's blood on their doorpost and eat the lamb. And they do a Passover meal, like a, a Seder meal, um, where they eat unleavened bread and they... Um, they eat bitter herbs, they drink wine, and they eat the lamb that has been sacrificed. And God, you know, tells them exactly how to celebrate this meal. And he tells them that they are to do it for, you know, for generations to come. And so, so basically, um, that night, the angel of death comes. And when they had the, the, the lamb's blood on their doorpost, then the angel passes over them, death passes over them. The lamb basically was uh, sacrificed for them. They, were, they had the blood of the lamb upon them and, and death passed upon them, passed over them. So then they were set free. Eventually, you know, Pharaoh, they say, leave, get out. They're set free from slavery. And eventually they enter into the promised land where they continue celebrating this uh, Seder meal, this Passover meal. So God's family mm-hmm. that he had been in covenant with was enslaved to a power that was far stronger than them, the Egyptian people, and couldn't get themselves out of it and needed a rescuer to come set them free. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, I want to actually, I'm going to quote a book that I love. I, um, the fourth cup by Scott Hahn. If you love scripture, if then, I mean, Scott Hahn is the person for you. He is a, a Catholic convert. He was a pastor and he, when he dove into scripture, he just started to have more and more questions. And, um, he was, very anti-Catholic, and he really believed the Catholic Church was blasphemous and um, didn't want to have anything to do with the Catholic Church. And he tells in his books how the more he studied Scripture, 
then he was led to just the early church and the church fathers. And eventually, you know, he comes to see the, the truth of the Catholic church. Yeah, he's, um, his books are terrific. We, yes. we talk about a lot of the Catholic teaching and faith. It's been developed over hundreds of years from, from the church fathers and, and Augustine through to Aquinas and down through the centuries. And a lot of that is very, can be very difficult to understand or read. Mm-hmm. It's very high levels of philosophy and theology. And people like Scott Hunt do an incredible job of breaking that down into um, ways that I can understand better anyway. Right, right. Yes, he makes it just very simple and easy to understand. So I'm going to quote him a lot in this book, The Fourth Cup. So he talks in this book about just how um, the the Israelite people would celebrate Passover every year. And for them, it wasn't, they, it was remembering the, the Passover, but it was also a, just a representation of the event. You know, they'd ask, um, you know, why is this night different than every other night? And, and they celebrate this Passover. So Jesus himself would have grown up every year celebrating the Passover. And um, Scott Hahn in his book, The Fourth Cup, he quotes a historian and said, you know, they, in Jesus's time, they would have met in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And, um, and according to this historian, there were... Um, 2 million people present and 255,660 lambs that were slaughtered. So in the old covenant, the old covenant with God, the old Testament, um, it was the, the shedding of an animal blood that would atone for sin. You would make that sacrifice to atone for sin. So you would, they would come together for Passover and they would sacrifice all of these lambs. Um, and it was a very solemn event. Um, the lamb died instead of them. Right. The, the idea being that, we understand that sin brings death. Mm-hmm. That's what it does. So after we've sinned, it's going to bring death. It's, it's guaranteed to do that. And so the Jewish people had this long tradition of that sin passing from them onto something innocent, and it mm-hmm. could take the sin for them. Mm-hmm. Right. A lamb. Did I say that? A lamb without blemish? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what I said. This is a lot, a lot to explain. So in Jesus' time, they would come together, celebrate this Passover meal, this Seder meal, um, very solemn. And Scott Hunt explains that the Seder meals were divided into four parts. So um, you had four different cups of, of wine, um, and then you know you would eat the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs, um, eat the lamb that was sacrificed. Um, so the lamb, the lamb dies um, in place of our sin, and we and they would eat the lamb. Okay, so now we're going to tie this in to the mass. I had to. I feel like I had to give that background. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, as Catholics, we remember the Last Supper, right? That's like a. So Jesus went to celebrate the Passover, but this Last Supper with Jesus was very different than other Passovers, other Seder meals, um, and this was when Jesus was bringing about the new covenant with 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 us. So. So all through the Bible, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Jesus, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. So the Jewish people would have understood that the Lamb is the one who dies in place of, in place of us for our sins. And Jesus is this new Lamb of God. So the Last Supper, Jesus is there with the, with the apostles, and he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover and he takes the cup, the cup that is, you know, one of the cups of wine that they have at the Passover meal, um, and he gives thanks, and he takes the bread, and he says, this is my body, which will be given up for you. Do this in memory of me. And then he says, this is the cup 
of the new covenant in my blood, which will be shed for you. So really, Jesus is becoming the Passover lamb. And what do we do with the Passover lamb? They would sacrifice it, and then they would eat it. So we as Catholics really do believe that Jesus is the lamb of God, and we partake in, in eating his body. Um, and Scott Hahn makes this really great point. Um, so Jesus says at the last, there, he, the Seder meal usually has four cups. Jesus partakes in three of the cups. And, and Scott Hahn tells all about this in the fourth cup. I really recommend reading it. Jesus says after he drinks from the, th- the third cup, he says, from this time, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus does not partake in the fourth cup. They leave and they go to the garden. Um, Jesus does not partake in that, in that fourth cup of wine. So this was a very different Passover meal. I mean, who knows what the apostles thought. They've been celebrating the, pos- the Passover their whole life. And right. this they're, is very they're different. They're doing the meal and then all of a sudden he stops and says, I will not drink again until my kingdom comes. Right, right. So again, as, as Scott Hahn points out in his book, Jesus is going to his crucifixion and he is not partaken in that fourth cup of the Passover meal. So then he's on the cross. And in the book of John, we remember that he says, I thirst. So they have common wine there. They put it on a sponge and with a hyssop branch, they, they give it to Jesus. And the Bible says that after he takes the wine, he says, it is finished and he dies. Now, it's interesting to point out that, again, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not this great Bible scholar. I'm, uh, <laughs> Scott Hahn is, so I'm taking a lot from his book. But he points out that um, at Passover, they were to take a hyssop branch and put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. And, uh, and again, that was the sign that death would pass them over. It was with a hyssop branch that they gave Jesus that, that last wine. And so um, that, at that point when Jesus says, it is finished, um, again, Scott Hahn points out that the Passover meal is finished. We're in a new covenant now. The lamb has been sacrificed. This unblemished, Jesus was without sin. This perfect unblemished lamb has been sacrificed. His blood is upon us. So death will pass us over. Um, we're, he has taken on our sin. He has died in atonement for our sins. Um, and his blood is upon us. And, and with that fourth cup, he is entering his kingdom, and, and we are in a new covenant. So at Mass, what we are doing is we're, doing, we're kind of entering into that sacrifice again. Some people think that Catholics believe at Mass we're like re-sacrificing Jesus, that he's being killed. Like he can't be killed again. He was already, he was already crucified. He, was already, he already died for us, but we're re-entering to that sacrifice of, of his death, like, and, and we're, we're entering into that new covenant where Jesus has died for our sins and his blood is upon us and we, we eat his body like they ate the body of the lamb and we drink his blood. And that was, this is very hard to explain. That was, <laughs> so. that was, that was really, really good. So, so right. We're not just, it's not just a symbol for us of, well, this is what Jesus did. So we're doing it. It's like, no, no his, his sacrifice on the cross is eternal. It's an eternal moment. And we're entering in that, into that eternal moment in the mass. So the Israelites were slaves to Pharaoh and slaves to the Egyptian and needed a rescuer. And then by the blood of the lamb, death passes over them and they're able to go into, you know, past the Red Sea and eventually into the promised land. Well, through original sin, we, ever since Adam and Eve, are all slaves to sin. 
And so what we need is we need a rescuer. And so Jesus comes in as he's not a slave to sin. He never sinned. A slave doesn't rescue a slave. So Jesus comes in as, as one stronger than sin and stronger than death, and he sheds his blood for us. So he takes, he looks at all of our sin, all of the sin for all of humanity, looks at it and takes it upon himself and dies on the cross. But because he's not subject to sin, he then rises and the power of death is broken. Mm-hmm. And he then offers that power to us so that he comes, he takes the sin, he destroys it, he rises from the dead, and now we have a path to getting out of our slavery. And um, because the blood of the Lamb is upon us, we too get to enter into the promised land, into heaven. We, right. We're set free from, from death. Right. So. And the other, I mean, the other piece that, that as Catholics we understand the Eucharist to be is that we have a chance now to enter back into union, communion with God. Mm-hmm. So that unity was broken, but now God offers himself entirely to us. Jesus offers himself entirely to us. Catholics call it body, blood, soul, and divinity. Because as Catholics, we never separate the spirit from the body. So, so God gives himself his very body, like he talked about in John chapter 6. And again, at the Last Supper, he said, this is my body. This is my blood. And in a mystical way, we get to take him entirely, his body, blood, soul, and divinity, and we get to consume it. We get to enter back into complete unity with God. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so the neat thing about being Catholic is, yes, everything we do is rooted in the Bible, but we also we also have the history, the tradition of the church. And so what we're doing at Mass is what the first early Christians were doing as well. Um, Pete, I think you wanted to talk about um, St. Justin Martyr. Yeah, so... I think sometimes maybe as as Christians or even as Catholics, we don't understand just how much is present from the early church. The church fathers have lots of writings. These were people that lived soon after the apostles. Polycarp was discipled by the apostle John. Uh, So one of those is uh, St. Justin Martyr. So St. Justin Martyr is living during the persecution and he, he writes in year 155, he writes to Caesar because he's trying to explain to Caesar what the Christians are doing because mm-hmm. there's all these rumors running around like these crazy Christians and what they're doing. They're cannibals. Yeah, and that yeah. they're cannibals and, and a whole bunch of misinterpretation there. And so uh, so St. Justin Martyr wants to explain it. So he has this, this document that he writes to Caesar about what the church is actually doing when they meet. And it's really good. It's in uh, The Four Witnesses is, is the book that talks about it along with some of the other church fathers. So he describes what happens at the Mass, and it looks remarkably close to what we do today as Catholics. And here's a quote from it. For not as common bread and common drink do we receive these, but in like manner is Jesus Christ our Savior. We believe that the food which is blessed by the prayer is the flesh and blood of Jesus, who was made flesh. Mm-hmm. Yes, so the early church was accused of cannibalism, um, and that was, again, just myths and rumors because people would hear about what they were doing, they really did believe that they were partaking in the true flesh and blood of Jesus, that that bread and that wine was being changed into his body and blood. This is not a new thing that Catholics made up. It's what the church has always believed. Right. We believe as Catholics that this, we're following in the tradition of what the church has always done. And Mm -hmm. our great form of worship, we talk about what is worship, our great form of worship as Catholics is entering into the mass. So a number of other Christian traditions will do praise and worship and sing songs and preaching, and that is what they do to worship. And we do those things also as Catholics, but our great form of worship is entering into Mass because that's when we come back into complete unity with God. 
I want to read a little excerpt from the book I've been talking about, uh, The Fourth Cup by Scott Hahn. So he was a pastor, and he really felt like the Catholic Church was this blasphemous church. But the more that he studied, the more that he realized that it, it wasn't blasphemy, and he became very interested in what was happening at the Mass. So he describes his first time going to Mass, and I just want to read it to you. I think it's really good. So he writes about his first Mass experience. I decided to go to one of the weekday Masses, since I knew they drew a smaller crowd than the Sunday Mass. With my Bible and notebook, I took a seat in the back pew at the university chapel. I was well prepared. I had taken every precaution. I could not have been safer if I'd been locked in a plastic observation bubble. But I soon found out that I wasn't prepared at all. What I was experiencing was an immersion in Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New. But it wasn't at all like a Bible study. It wasn't at all like a class. There was nothing about it that anyone would find entertaining. There was nothing that seemed calculated or calibrated to stir my emotions. The words in the worship were directed to God. They were about God. The ritual forms were deeply Trinitarian, like the blessings and greetings of St. Paul. When people weren't reading directly from the Bible, the priest was pronouncing prayers rich with scriptural quotations and allusions that ranged freely from Genesis to Revelation, but especially Revelation. Almost everything I saw at the chapel reminded me of that last book in the canon. There was an altar and vested clergy. There were golden lampstands. People sang the songs of the angels in heaven, holy, holy, holy. And again and again, there was mention of Jesus as the Lamb. The rite of the Mass was evoking heaven as if we were really there, and there was a paschal quality to the entire event. It wasn't just in the mention of the Lamb, though. Indeed, that makes sense only in reference to the Passover of Jesus. The entire Mass was rich with paschal symbols. I noticed many of them that first day, and more still as I returned to Mass in the days to come. Yeah, that's really, really good. Some people think that the Catholic Mass is not rooted in Scripture, and that's not even slightly true. And some people think as we have these crazy traditions that we do just because we've always done them and who knows Mm -hmm. even what they are. But the Mass is this drama of moving from sin and death into life and unity with God. And so that's that's really why we love it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that was the big one, the Mass and what we call the Eucharist, which is the body and blood of of Jesus. So next we're going to go into, we're still going to talk about what Catholics believe, and we're going to talk about how we live out the faith. And we live out the faith um, through sacraments, what we call sacraments. So let me try to describe sacraments. The definition of them is an outward sign of an inward grace, but I'll, I'll unpack that. So try to unpack that. So what the sacraments are, we as Catholics, we always say like we don't we don't just separate the whole person from the spiritual life. So there are physical ways that we really live out the faith. There are physical things that God has given us to um, impart grace into our life. Is that? Yeah, that's really good. Okay. So doing our best here. (laughs) So um, the first, so the Eucharist is one sacrament. It's a physical way that God pours grace into our life. So the next sacrament that I'm going to talk about is baptism. And again, baptism is totally from the Bible. Jesus was baptized. Jesus tells the disciples, go and baptize all nations. So as Catholics, the one thing that we do differently than some other uh, Christian um, traditions is that we baptize babies. And people might think, well, where, you know, where is that in the Bible? Because in the Bible, a lot of times people were older. They, they have the older people that are being baptized. 
But the one thing that is really important to to when we're looking at scripture, first off, we have the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Testament, the, the New Covenant. And Jesus did not come to a, abolish the law. He says, I did not come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. And if you look at the, the Jewish people, they, as a sign of their covenant with God, when they were entering into their covenant with God, they would uh, circumcise their babies at eight days old. So baptism is coming into the new covenant. It's when Jesus, when our sins are washed away through water and Jesus enters into our life and we kind of enter into his covenant, we enter into his family. And we believe that never in, in the history of, of our faith were babies left out of that. Um, and you can see in scripture as well, I have some some verses when people were baptized um, in scripture, they were baptized um, with their household. Household meaning everyone, the children. It doesn't say the household excluding the babies. So in, in the book of Acts, there is um, a jailer who's guarding the jail and there's an earthquake and Paul and Silas, the doors are opened. There's an earthquake and they can be free to go. And this jailer wants to take his life because he's um, afraid of what's going to happen to him, that the prisoners escaped. And Paul stops him and says, stop, I'm here. And, and the jailer falls to his knees and says, what do I have to do to be saved? And the jailer takes Paul and Silas into his home. And it says that he was baptized along with his entire family. Same with Lydia. She was baptized along with her family. So we really believe as Catholics that that God wants to be with us from the very beginning. He says, let the children come to me. Um, and there's a myth that Catholics believe you have to earn your salvation, That and, and we don't believe that it's God's grace. And this is proof that we believe it is all grace because a baby can't earn their salvation. And yet, by God's grace alone, through baptism, they are set free from original sin. That's right. And God can then pour out his grace on us through the sacrament. Again, that's that's what a sacrament is. It's a way for God to pour out grace upon us. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we're on to our, th- we've got seven sacraments to cover. The next one is uh, confirmation. So as Catholics, we really believe that just like on Pentecost, we to, in order to live out the the Christian faith, we need the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, who gives us uh, courage and strength and understanding and wisdom and 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 gifts of the Holy Spirit that would be a whole other podcast. But we need the Holy Spirit in order to live out this faith. And so we, we have a sacrament called confirmation, and that is when the bishop literally lays hands on us and prays for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come upon us. And once again, this is in scripture. Uh, well, there's a lot in, in uh, the book of Acts about the Holy Spirit. You know, we see the the disciples, they're scared. Jesus, you know, has been crucified and he ascended into heaven and they're kind of don't know what to do. <laughs> and and Jesus says, wait for the great advocate, wait for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit depends, descends upon them and they're filled with courage and understanding and wisdom and power and all kinds of really great things. And so we too need the Holy Spirit. And so um, if you look back in the book of Acts, people were baptized with water and then they would wait for the apostles to come and lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter eight, it says, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John who went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for it had not yet fallen upon them 
they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And this happens a number of times in the book of Acts where they lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit after they had been baptized. Right. So we, as most other Christians believe that we lay hands on each other when we pray. We've talked about that before. It's a physical sign of praying for each other. Um, But there's a special thing that happens when the apostles laid their hands upon them. And so uh, for Catholics, the bishops are the successors of the apostles and they have the apostolic ministry. And so when those apostles lay their hands upon upon people, that would be then, and, and pray for the Holy Spirit. That's the sacrament of confirmation. So what Peter's talking about, apostolic succession, um, we are actually going to bring that in to our next sacrament, which is holy orders, the priesthood, the religious life. Um, now, our priests in the Catholic world are not married because um, we believe just as Peter is my spouse, he lays down his life for me and he serves our family. The priest is representing Jesus, who is um, really the the bridegroom of the church. Really, the church is called the bride of Christ. And the priest is really laying down his life for the church, to serve the church. And so what we have in the Catholic church is what we call apostolic succession. So Jesus chose the 12 apostles and then um, he breathed on them. He gave them authority. And we'll talk more about them. And the apostles would lay hands on to make new apostles um, as a way of just um, succeeding that authority from Jesus all the way till today. So our priests give their lives completely to Christ and to the church. And Jesus says, you know, whoever gives up children for me, their reward will be great. They give up a family to serve the church and to serve God. And they can trace that laying on of hands back to the apostles. And we believe that through Jesus' authority um, that he gave to the apostles, the priest has um, authority to to celebrate the mass, to give us the Eucharist, to celebrate the sacraments, to... um, to forgive sins, and we're going to to go through that, but to really act as Christ to us here in the world. Right. So that's the priesthood. There's also nuns and brothers and different types of orders, but this is also a sacrament where someone, it's, it's a vocation, which means they're giving their entire life to this. So when they make this decision to become a priest uh, or brother or a nun, and they go through all the trainings, and then they enter into this sacrament where now they give their complete self for the rest of their life to it. And it's a way of of laying down the rest of their life and committing to something completely and then going for it. Mm-hmm. So that brings us into marriage, which is the next sacrament. And this is another sacrament of vocation, meaning I'm going to now give my entire life to something. I'm going to lay down my entire life. And when a couple comes together to be married, there's th- four things that must be present in their vows. It must be free. So I can't, I can't have been compelled to be there. I, have, I, I can't be married without my consent. It must be total. So I'm, giving, I'm, I'm not reserving anything at this point. I'm going to give the rest of my life um, in, in an attempt to the same way that Jesus gave his life for the church, I'm going to give my life for my bride. And then Kristen will receive that and give her life fully back to me. It must be faithful. So I'm committing to be faithful to just her. And then it must be fruitful, which means I'm being open to life and being open to children. So those four things right. are present in the vows and it's for the rest of our life. Go ahead. Yeah. And Catholic marriage looks very different. It is, um, it's a covenant. It looks different than maybe marriages of the world. It's a covenant that cannot be broken. And again, like Peter said, it's free, total, faithful, and fruitful. 
the church has such beautiful theology of marriage, beautiful theology of the body, and we could do 10 podcasts on it, but right now we're doing kind of an overview of the sacraments. But I will say, I just feel like the Catholic Church has been such a gift to us um, for our marriage. I just, I can't, I'm so thankful. I just have to say that. Right. It's that a couple would be, if those four things are present, that a couple then commits themselves and they're unified in a way that can't be broken. Like it's impossible. That's what Catholics believe. A covenant with one another. So they're in a covenant with Mm -hmm. one another. Yeah. Okay. So we've done five. Let me just count and make sure we did. The Eucharist is a sacrament, marriage, holy orders, like the priesthood, Mm -hmm. uh, confirmation, confirmation. baptism. Okay. So we've got two more. There are seven sacraments. We've got two more sacraments to cover. Okay. So the next one is the anointing of the sick. And this could also be last rites. And this is biblical. This is if someone is very sick or if they're dying, the priest comes to them and gives them this sacrament um, where they anoint them with oil and they pray for them for healing or prepare them for death because we all do face death in this life. Sometimes God heals us, but sometimes um, it is time for us to be in heaven. So this is again from the book of James. So all of our sacraments are biblical. All of our sacraments are what the early church did. I'm going to read this from James. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So the priest comes and anoints this person and, and either they're healed or they're healed in heaven. Um, and their, their sins are forgiven. It's a way to prepare them for their death, prepare them to enter into heaven. And this is really interesting because they say that they have... Um, they will be, their sins will be forgiven. And so this brings us into our next um, sacrament, which is the sacrament of reconciliation or confession, another sacrament of healing. Um, and some people have a problem with the, the thought of a priest having the authority to forgive sins, but it's right, right there. It's all through scripture. So confession is when we go and we confess our sins to a priest in private and he forgives us. Um, and this goes back to, again, Jesus. Um, he breathes on the apostles in John chapter 20. It says, Jesus breathed on the apostles and send, said to them, whose sins you forgive are forgiven and whose sins you retain are retained. Uh, the scriptures also say, confess sins to one another. Jesus wants us to confess our sins. Um, and there is a great reason for that, that Pete is going to talk about. Uh, confession is an amazing sacrament that brings about healing. So Yes. I think it's probably an incredibly awkward idea if somebody has never done it before. And there's plenty of Catholics who maybe went to their first reconciliation and then never went for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we believe it's a sacrament of healing, so it brings about a special type of healing. So when we get to, we, you know, and people might say, well, why don't you just ask God for forgiveness? Well, sure, go, please do that. You know, like we should be asking God for forgiveness every day when we're realizing what we're doing wrong and we're trying to be healed from it. But we also know that persistent sin continues to happen in our life. Mm -hmm. Every single person continues to sin. And in some ways, in a lot of times, those sins can grow in the darkness. And we might be asking forgiveness for them over and over again, but they continue to happen and, and maybe they even get worse. And there is a very special thing that happens when we can come and we can come before someone who is acting in the person of Jesus and 
and, and getting to represent Jesus for us. And we can just say what they are, like bring them out into light and say them, say, here is what I've done. And then we get to hear the priest say, in the person of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Go mm-hmm. in peace. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, and at least my personal experience has been when that happens, it can bring about a special type of healing where um, I can feel uh, even even closer to God in a special way, break free from sin that maybe keeps happening in my life. Right. Well, God, God knew that it would be healing for us. I mean, we know, like psychologists can tell us what shame does to us. Like if you're, if you're carrying shame, it is, um, it is a heavy, heavy burden. And we often struggle with that. And the devil can lie to us when our sins are just in our own head. And, and we haven't had anyone to really talk them out with and, and to tell us that we're forgiven. It can bring about a, a heavy burden and it's a way of just like releasing that burden and having our sins be forgiven. And it is, it is powerful. Um, I also want to say that the other thing for Catholics and, and again, for us, it's, we're, we're not just in our heads. We're not our, we sometimes think my, my faith is just between me and God, but that's not how God intended our faith to be. It's between us and the church and the world. When we sin, we bring about pain. Like if I, if I do something wrong to someone, let's say I, I gossip about someone, I'm bringing sin and pain and hurt into the world. I've hurt that person that I've gossiped about. Um, our sin doesn't just affect us, it affects others. And so it's important that we, in a sense, come before the church just in the way of the priest to be reconciled to the church. When we've, when we've sinned against the church, when we've hurt the, the church, we've hurt others, we come before someone to, um, to really reconcile that. And it can also be incredibly hard, as you imagine. I mean, these things that people don't, you don't want anybody to know this stuff about you. Now you're saying it to somebody and it's, it's interesting. It's not about having some special connection with the priest. Most of the time when you go into the sacrament of reconciliation, you can choose to sit behind a screen so you can't even see the priest and he can't even see you. You just, you're hearing it. And the whole point of that screen is to kind of break past, like there's, I can't let anybody know this about me. I can't be like, it doesn't even matter. They're not even going to know who you are. It's more important to just get it out there mm-hmm. and then have um, this special grace come through the priest and be able to bring about healing mm-hmm. and to be reconciled to the church. So if you, if you've been carrying sins for a long time and you've asked forgiveness, but you still feel alone and you still feel like you're carrying a heavy burden, go to confession and let that grace, there is, there is grace in the sacraments. There is grace and there is healing. So no matter how long it's been, no matter how bad the sin, the priest has heard it all, go to confession. Uh, it's been, it was so fun to see our son's first confession. He just came out with the biggest smile on his face and he was like, I just feel so, um, I just feel, what did he say? He, oh, yeah, like he was light as air. He's like, I feel <laughs> as light as air. And I'm like, how healing for a kid. Cause I, you know, I can remember times as a kid when you do something wrong, just feeling like you're bad and feeling shame and, mm-hmm. um, and just to hear, hear someone say you're forgiven, someone with authority, there is, there's power there. So, um, really God established it. It's not man-made. People think that the Catholic faith is man-made, but this is, we see this in the early church. We see this in the scriptures. So, um, yeah, there's also this, this is, I think, common with all Christians is that we ask forgiveness for our sins and then maybe we feel okay because now we've got forgiveness and we've had some kind of conversion, but then we do it again and we sin again and we sin again. And as long as we're here on this earth, we're going to continue to sin in some ways. And um, 
what's nice about confession is you can also keep going back. You know, mm-hmm. it's this opportunity to keep receiving mercy, not like it has to be just once and then you need to be perfect after that or something, but yeah. that you get to keep receiving God's mercy and over and over again, even in our broken, dysfunctional state. Yeah, and grace is released to, to help break that power of sin when you receive the grace of confession. So it's really cool. So we invite you guys to come come to back to confession, you know, yeah. come and come to Mass. And if you are, if you've... If you're interested, I, in the Catholic faith, if you, if any of this intrigues you, we can we can just there's so many books. There's I really recommend Scott Hahn. He wrote um, Rome Sweet Home. He wrote The Lamb's Supper, A Father Who Keeps His Promises. Again, The Fourth Cup. All things that are just deeply rooted in Scripture and his journey from thinking the Catholic Church was this terrible thing to it bringing so much life to him and his entire family. Um, Absolutely. So also the four witnesses, we'll link these in the show notes. We should also put in there, put in there uh, Bishop Robert Barrett's Word on Fire YouTube series. So right. if you have specific questions about something, he's tremendous at explaining them in a very articulate way. Right. Yeah, we are just like, we're just normal Catholics. We are not theologians or Bible scholars. The church, and the amazing thing, I've been Catholic for like 15 years. And still to this day, when I read something, I'm like, my mind is blown. I'm like... This is amazing, yeah. and we're still learning. So even even in this forty, we're at forty four minutes podcast. We didn't explain things perfectly. I mean, there is so much more. There are so many better explanations than what we can give. And if you're interested in in the faith, if you're interested in scripture, if you're interested in what the early church looked like, you could find it in better places than what we could offer you. Yeah, I've explored all number of Catholic ideas over the years and sometimes been offended by something, which is good. It's good to be offended by something because that, that can cause you to dig deep into it and find an answer. But my experience, and this is one of the reasons I'm Catholic, is every time I ask a question and then go and seek out an answer, I've been incredibly satisfied by what the saints have said and what the Catholic Church has said, is that these, the answers they give for the questions that I ask are remarkable. Yes, that's very true. Every time. Um, So I guess that is it for today. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at homesteadstory at gmail.com. And thanks again for listening. Have a great day, everyone. Bye.